unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Our reading today is going to come from Luke, the 17th chapter. A story is given, Jesus himself speaking of his return. And I believe that all of us who believe in Jesus are looking forward to the second return of Christ. And but how shall it be? How shall it be that day when the Son of God returns? And if I can begin from uh, the 26th verse. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Bible tells us they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. See, the world was coming to one end as in the death of every man which did not sit or go with Noah. But many people or all of them except the household of Noah and the animals, none of them knew that the world they knew was going to be sunk in waters. And so the Bible says the Son of God returning will be like the days of Noah, that some will be getting married, some will be given into marriage, some will be taking their children to school, some will be going to the airport for their next business meeting and boom, Jesus will return. Because we're not supposed to know that day. At least the Bible has said it. And it was not given to us to know the times of the Father. But that's how it will appear. And then he continues to say in verses 28, likewise also it was in the days of Lot before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and it destroyed all of them. If you knew that you have two days to be alive, there are certain decisions you cannot make. Are you following? If you knew that you had a week to be on earth, there are certain decisions that you cannot make. So it is on the return of the Son of God that not many people will understand, will know, will expect. They'll just be living on their normal lives. There's probably going to be a woman in the field trying to plant her apple tree. It's going to be a guy, you know, um, who has just signed his next deal. There's going to be somebody who is just starting his project. There's going to be people who have seen themselves at the first time and they've fallen in love with each other. He saw a woman and said, I think I must marry that woman. And as the thought comes in their head, Jesus returns. The movie what? 
ends. Think about it. Think about it. So that's just how the world will end. Jesus will return. Now, the scriptures are clear. As we continue to read in the days of Lot, verse 30 says, Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. If you read that in the message version, for those of us who want to understand simpler English, in 31, when the day arrives and you're working in your yard, don't run into the house to get anything. And if you're out in the field, don't go back and get your coat when the Son of God returns. Because none of that shall be useful or necessary at all. When the Bible says, do not go back, it means there's a possibility of some people who are like that. They would want to go back Before we go to heaven, Lord, let me pick my mobile phone. Before you pick me, Lord, there's this expensive jacket that my boyfriend just bought me. Let me go with it. I need it. Before we go to heaven, my shoes, my shoes. Can I carry my bands too? You know, there are people like that. And then the next portion of scripture says, remember Lord's wife. That's the second shortest verse in the Bible after Jesus wept. John 11, 35. He says, remember Lot's wife. And that word kept resonating in my spirit louder and louder and louder as a siren. It became so loud, so loud because God gave it that honor to put it in just one verse. There are many people to remember. There are many people to remember in scripture, but it tells us, remember Lot's wife. And there's also an interesting reality here for you to examine and later I'll touch a little bit. That if you read Abraham, we knew his wife. Many of the patriarchs and their people, God sort of takes time to explain to us their names and their families. But this woman's name was never known. And there's a reason why her name was never known. I'll get to that a bit later. But it tells us, remember Lot's wife. And the next verse says, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall what? Lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life, they shall preserve it. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Now, for me to give you the understanding that I believe you must receive tonight, For some of you, I need to go back and maybe make a recap. But for some of you who probably have not read that portion of scripture or the life of Lord, I need to probably give some context for you to understand how we get here. A wonderful man called Abraham, or Abraham before, God appears to him and tells him, get thee out of your country, from your kindred and from your father's house, and go to a land that I will what? Show you. And as is to set off his journey, to a land God will show him, is a nephew of his called Lot. For some interesting reason, this young man, Lot, feels compelled to go with Abraham and Sarah. And so he goes with them. And then they go into Canaan. And when they reach there, the Bible tells us, because of the blessing of Abraham, they began to prosper. 
Bible says when Abraham got hearts, Lot got hearts. And Abraham increased in uh, flocks. Lot increased in flocks. When Abraham expanded in tents, Lot increased in tents. They went expanding and building and building and building and building and building and building wealth. Are you following me? And the scriptures tell us that a time comes where they're so wealthy that they don't fit in the land. The land was overwhelmed by their wealth. If it was animals, they did not have enough places to graze. And even within their servants started to have a couple of contentions. Why? Because the land was not enough for these two men and their wealth. It's amazing that a man can become so wealthy that the land is not enough. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's amazing. It's amazing. But that's just how much blessed Abraham was. But it's important for you to understand that as Abraham increased in cattle, so Lord increased in cattle. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, so he tells Lord, instead of us contending, you pick a place that you might go and I will stay here. Look wherever you want. And the Bible tells us that when Lot was told that, he started to look to see if we were to separate, where would I go? And then he chose the fertile plains of Jordan. Even if it was you and you to separate with somebody and your problem has been that the land is not sufficient to provide for your animals, I don't think you'd choose a dry place. You choose a fertile what? Place. So, Lord chose whatever was for profit and advantage to him because that's what wisdom would give him. But let me tell you a mystery here. And I want you to listen to me so clearly. This was not the choice Lord was supposed to pick. Reasonably speaking, yes. Concerning inheritance, no. Because many of us do not understand the mystery of inheritances or the laws that govern the principle called inheritance. The Bible tells us that when Lot left and he went, he pitched in Sodom and then he built himself houses, he built himself wealth in Sodom. He made wealth there. He's a wealthy man. He's a reputable man. In fact, in Genesis 19, verses 1, when the angels leave Abraham and they go to Lot, the scriptures tell us they met Lot at the gate of Sodom. Now, if you study the ancient texts to study the word called gate of Sodom, or any gate of any city, the most reputable, the richest, the most honorable, the most influential people sat at the gates of cities. Are you following what I'm saying? So when you say that somebody was sitting at the gate of a city, that meant that that man was of some sort influential, was a man who was powerful, and he had a say in the daily affairs of that city or that nation. He was an important, honorable man. And so Lot not only had built wealth in Sodom, 
but he had earned respect and honor among his peers, those before him and below him. And the Bible also tells us that Lot was a righteous man, that in spite of the fact that he goes in a wicked people, he lives among a wicked people, a lawless people. The Bible tells us that he was a righteous man. In 2 Peter 2, 7, the Bible says he rescued righteous Lot. So Lot was what? Righteous. Righteous Lot, he says, greatly worn out and distressed by the wandering ways of the ungodly and lawless. So he goes and lives in a wicked world, but he keeps his righteousness, but he had lost a fundamental place in the way of the Lord. Why? Because when God appears to Abraham and tells him that I have blessed you and you shall be a great nation, Abraham says, how shall that be? For I go at childless and the steward of my house, Eliezer of Damascus, is now here that if a time comes and I have to leave this earth, the man that is responsible to take of my inheritance is Eliezer. Where was Lot? Follow me. You're moving with your brother's child. In African culture, he's actually your son. He's your nephew. And you go to a land of the promise. And God is building an inheritance with you, Abraham, because you're going to become a great nation. He has told Abraham, you're going to become a great nation. And Lord should have known better because the scriptures are clear. When Abraham increased, Lord increased also. That's what Genesis tells us. And Lord also, which went with Abraham, had flocks, herds, and tents. Lord also. So that means that there was a plan God had for Lot when Lot went with Abraham. It is disturbing that at that point, in the end, Abraham has to look at Eliezer of Damascus when his nephew is just a few kilometers away. That means in Lot's walking away, he did not just walk away from the source of his blessing, he walked away from a pattern of inheritance. I tell people that there are three things in this life that you require to live in line with God's design for your life or purpose for your life. Number one, to know your purpose on the earth. Why did he create me? And what is my assignment? What is my mandate? It's very important for you to know, what am I in the world for? What is my assignment? What is my mandate? It's a very important thing to consider for everyone if you should live in line with God's will and purpose. Number two, where has he sent me to do it? What is my field? What is the ground? What is the course? Because the Bible tells us, for example, that Paul, he was sent to the uncircumcised. If you read that in Galatians chapter 2, it says, When Peter, James, and John, which seemed to be pillars, saw the grace that was given unto me to the what? To the uncircumcised. Saw the grace that was given unto me to the uncircumcised, as it was given to them to the circumcised. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they to the circumcised. That means 
Paul recognizes that not only was he called in the office by purpose of an apostle, but his assignment was in the field of the heathen, the uncircumcised. Very important. And that is why when you read scripture, many of the persecutions that Paul goes through are mostly with the circumcised. Why? Because at times he found himself in the church, the synagogues of the Jews, trying to compel them to believe on Jesus. Remember, he has always had this heart for them. He says, oh, brethren, I wish that I was a cast off for the sake of my brethren, the Jews. I would have allowed for God to kill me if he can guarantee that he would save the Jewish nation. That's how much Paul loved the Jews. But sometimes God will mandate us in places where we carry no affection for because that's just the way of God. And don't think that because you love them, therefore you can save them. It's the grace given you. So it was given to him to the uncircumcised as it was given to Peter to the what? Circumcised. Hallelujah. So it's important for you to understand that Paul goes to the uncircumcised, is persecuted, to the circumcised, is persecuted. Peter goes to the uncircumcised, yet the grace given to him is not for the uncircumcised, and he dies in Rome. Peter was killed in Rome. He would not have been killed in Jerusalem. Why? Because the grace was given to him to the circumcised. So it's important to understand, I have this mandate, but where has God sent me? Where is my field? Number three, most importantly, to walk in divine inheritance, you will realize that God will place a man or woman in your life to instruct your destiny. That's where many people lose it. To speak into your destiny, to direct you in the course that you should walk, to know your teacher, to understand that there are many voices in this world and there's none without signification. But who speaks to me the way I know God should speak to me? That's a very important aspect. God has hidden so much in people. If you read of church history, whether you're talking about medieval or modern history, you will see this one principle, that every new birth has had some sort of old womb that connected it into the course that it should go. Biblically, we have examples. Modern Christian history, we have examples. In West Africa, in East Africa, in South Africa, in Europe, in Asia, everywhere across the world, there's been midwives, there's been wombs from where many men have been propelled to the place of service and purpose. Not that what God has put on you was not enough, but that God created a voice in this world to direct, to speak, to release something on your life to make you what you must become. You should never forget that. And whether you accept it, believe it, recognize it or not, like Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey those that have the rule over you, your spiritual leaders. The Amplified says, constantly observing or recognizing their authority over you. Why? The Bible says they are constantly keeping watch over your souls, but I'm a prophet. Yes, you are a prophet. But God has not designed you to watch over your soul. And neither does he watch over your soul without the aid of a man. You need to know how God works. So he says they are ever watching over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare as men who will render an account of their trust. 
Do your part to let them do this with gladness and not with sighing or groaning, and that would not be profitable for you either. And now we have a challenge of Christians which are not profitable, not because they're not praying, not because they're not fasting, not because they're not giving, but because they are either ignorant to this pattern or are rebellious to the way of the Spirit. There are people here who nobody can instruct. Nobody speaks to you. Nobody can tell you what to do. You're your own man. You're your own woman. If you have chosen a course, that's why you go. Oh, you're in trouble. Eventually, you're in trouble. No man was called to watch over themselves. Amazing. So in this instance, Lot had a covering from Abraham. Now, why did I say this third is very important? Because I have seen people who left the place where God had planted them to command their destiny. Much as the Holy Spirit is with them, the gifts of the Spirit are with them, but the place where God had accorded them to become, they never interpreted it. It was just any other meeting. It was just any other man of God. It was just a wonderful teacher. It was just a wonderful prophet. It was just a wonderful evangelist. They never understood that certain people don't just come in your life to give you a good sermon or some counsel. Some people come in your life because they're the only people God has chosen to bring that child out of you. Now, that's the difference between inheritance and simply living a righteous life. Is it wrong to live righteous? It is right to live righteous, but not all righteous men have connected to inheritances. I know people who are living right and agree to the righteousness of God, but they are not living in the power and glory of inheritance. This is exactly what Lot was dealing with. If a man increased in heart and you increased in heart, you just sat with him and increased in heart because he increased in heart, you better understand that when it tells you that it is time for us to separate because I think we are outgrowing this, there should be enough wisdom for you to ask, am I leaving this man because we have become so rich for the land or I'm leaving him because it is divine purpose for me to leave him? In this instance, Lot was not supposed to leave Abraham. How do I know? Did Lot know that Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be set on brimstone? He didn't. Had he known, would he have gone to Sodom and Gomorrah? No. Why is it that when he goes to Sodom and Gomorrah, it's still the rescuing cover on Abraham that redeems him? Because even in Sodom, the cover of Abraham was extended. These men leave Abraham's house to go to Lot's house. There's a reason why they go to Abraham's house first. So either for some, it's the circumstances of indifference and ignorance to the ways of the Spirit. That's number one. Or others, they're so taken by the things of this world that sometimes they choose their own course and not the way of the Spirit. And I tell people that there's also this one way that I've studied through scripture and it's so common. But sometimes that man, that person God has placed in your life might give you a liberty and not because you deserve that liberty, but it's a place of God testing your heart to know whether you are ready for greater glory. And you look at all of these men in scripture which are made by other men and sometimes you see that the people that make them sometimes even create atmospheres of getting rid of them, pushing them away, releasing them, relieving them. 
And for some, if they're ignorant and immature, they might think that that is liberty. But it is indeed the heart of God behind him. His infinite wisdom, trying to test the heart of this man or woman to see whether they are ready for the greater places that God has ordained for them. Typical example. Typical example. When Hagar had a child and Sarah had not conceived, Hagar started to scorn at Sarah and they had a fight one day and Hagar knowing that she has Abraham's kid, Abraham will follow her anyway and leave this woman who is childless because she knew the power of conceiving for Abraham. She leaves her mistress angry and God appears to Hagar and tells her, go back in that house. Go back. Go back. Because this is an inheritance issue. In fact, if Hagar had gone back with a certain understanding, Ishmael would not have grown up to do the same to Isaac. And if it was not so, the division we see in this world might have not been as we see between the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael. Because Ishmael was Abraham's son too, but not recognized by heaven in the order of inheritance and blessing. If Hagar was wise, she would have made sure she would have taught Ishmael to work around Isaac to adapt to Isaac, to respond to Isaac. And this is a lesson to mothers. If you're mature, you've picked it. Because he tells him, take your only son for a sacrifice. Why would he call him your only son? Why don't he call him your second son? I told him, take your only son, thy son, thy only son, Isaac, Genesis 22, whom thou lovest. Thy only, only? But Ishmael was there. This is what happened. The spirit on Hagar was extended into Ishmael. And this happens exactly, especially with women either who come into marriages and you have children from other marriages or your husbands have two or three wives and you don't know the wisdom to deal. You don't know the wisdom to deal. You got born again, but your husband had two wives before. What do you do? How do you deal with their children? You see, so what is at work in Hagar is extended into the sun. And Ishmael starts to do exactly what his mother used to do. And Sarah says, I'm done. Let me take my cover off. What Hagar did not know, that when Sarah took her cover off her, her and her son lost an inheritance. So Ishmael, by God, has no inheritance. Oh yeah, Abraham prayed that Ishmael live before you. And he says, oh yes, I shall make him a great what? Nation. I'll bless him and I'll make him fruitful. I'll multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation too. What does it mean when he says twelve princes? No, he shall have a nation too. As Israel shall be. But, he says, my promise is with Isaac. My covenant, he says, I will establish with Isaac, which Sarah has. Are you seeing? So one boy has the covenant, the other one simply has the blessing. Inheritance. That was the time Hagar was supposed to go and kneel before Sarah and say, my mistress, please forgive us. But she didn't get it. Remember the story of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi has sons and two daughters-in-law and then her sons die. And when they die, Naomi calls the daughters and says, you know what? You have no business with me. 
your husbands have died. So go your way back to your own people. Build a life and settle down and remarry. And one lady says, okay. She turned and went. Kissed her mother, that was Opa, and went. Opa went at the instruction of Naomi. Ruth said to Naomi, I shall not by any means leave you. Your God shall be my God. Your people shall be my people. Because the spirit at work in Ruth revealed to her that Naomi was not a mother-in-law. She was a source of defining destiny and writing an inheritance on her that otherwise she would not have heard in any way. The story is clear. Ruth follows Naomi. We remember the story of Boaz at the threshing floor. He falls in love with Ruth, marries her. They become the patriarchal and matriarchal source of that whole lineage of divine blessing to the coming of Christ, which he gladly calls his father and mother. Ruth found her part, purpose, and destiny. She connected to her inheritance because at the point when this woman told her go, she did not go. This, by God, was testing her heart. It wasn't a release. That's why when we talk to a generation that does not understand how yielding pacifieth offense, we are easily offended to walk out of purpose and disconnect with inheritance, even though righteous and living with what men call predictable grace. Many of us do not scale to the place where God wants us because we don't have the character to yield. We don't have the character to say here, even if you beat me, do whatever you can. I cannot leave this place because this is not just, this is inheritance I'm fighting for. Are you following what I'm saying? Now imagine if Hagar had knelt down to ask Sarah to reconsider and she had stayed and Ishmael had grown around Isaac. Imagine if Ruth at the instruction of Naomi had walked away. Shouldn't have done anything wrong. Opa was not judged by God, but she just did not carry an inheritance. Period. Elijah, Elisha, he finds this man and casts a mantle on him. This man says, oh, I need to go back and say bye to my father and my household. He says, oh yeah, you go. What have I done to you? He's testing this man's heart. God can be sarcastic sometimes. You see what I'm saying? When we were growing up, our parents were like that sometimes. You'd come and tell your mother, mom, don't go out and play. Then she'd say, go. You go. I'll see you when you return. And you know what she means. Uh, who understands what I'm saying? Now, if a child is seven or ten years and they go, that means your child has a problem. Have you understood what I just said? Ah, you go. We knew the first that had allowed us and the first that had not allowed us. Are we talking the same language here? So it's the same thing. I mean, Elijah tells Elijah, go, what have I done to you? Go. And then you see a foolish Elisha going to say bye to his father. Immediately, an inheritance at that particular point had gone. He would not have. Do you understand? And then, as well, that's not enough. This man follows him, serving him, serving him. And at one particular point, he tells him, you know what? I'm going somewhere. Why don't you tarry here for a while and wait for me? I'm going to come back. So I go to Bethel. The man says, for as long as the Lord lives, I shall not leave you. Then they go to another place. Oh, you know, tarry here. I'm going somewhere, to Jericho. 
as long as the Lord liveth, I will not leave you. Jordan, I will not leave you. Why? Because this is a man who is going to inherit the double portion on Elisha. What is that double portion? The horseman and chariot of Israel. You hear him as Elisha screams on a wild wind as Elijah is being carried. He says, oh, my father, my father, the horseman and chariot thereof of Israel. Now, imagine Elisha had obeyed Elijah's request to tarry in Bethel. Imagine if Elisha was emotional. You know, we also have the emotional folk. This guy seems I'm tying myself around him. He's not interested in actually working with me. I'm just trying to pull strings. But this prophet guy, he has no business with me. Huh? I've been rejected. It seems as though I've served him long enough. He's tired of me. And he's telling me to what? To stay here in Bethel. It's okay. If he doesn't work with me, that's okay. I have Jesus. And he doesn't? No, God is testing your heart. That's a test not many people are able to pass because we're indifferent to the way of the Spirit. If Elisha had stayed in Bethel or Jericho, the mantle of God was going to go with Elijah. And imagine what Israel would have been without Elisha. Because Elisha was the keeper of that nation. Nations are not kept with nuclear warheads and atomic bombs and bunker blasters. They're not kept by civilians' cameras and espionage transactions. Uh-uh. Nations are kept by men and women of God. Not many people understand that, but it is true. So why would Elijah tell Elisha, stay? Why would Naomi tell Ruth, go back to your family? Why? Why would Hagar be rejected by Sarah? God is checking their heart. Because usually, before inheritances switch, before mantles are given, there are tests that try your heart to test the readiness of how much you're going to receive. And not many are able. Listen, I am speaking from an apostolic office. I have seen people disconnect from purpose so painfully. And some I can actually look and tell that the person who was supposed to make this woman rich, she one time insulted at their workplace. I can tell it. Because some of you do not know what people can become and are going to become. Or what people can be in your life and are going to be in your life. Be very careful when you're dealing with men. Because some of the people you treat as nothing and scum, some of these are the people in which God has hidden the key of your next place in destiny. Some people carry the glory and grace for an inheritance on your life and you treat them as normal human beings. And some of you say, oh, you know, I'll fast, I'll pray, I'll seek God. I have a relationship with Him. Build it all you want. But God has built principles and patterns to guard and undergird this relationship that He has with you. He has built principles. You either learn to work with them or not work with them. I'm just trying to tell you that some of you are where you are because you're frustrated the place of your inheritance and you do not know it because you're not the kind which can even know it. You're not the kind which can even know it. A simple story of a young man who used to come to church, born again, love the Lord, and some silly prophet comes and misleads this young man about the ministry. And this young man sort of goes to that church and then he fails to fit there and then goes in the world 
And when he goes in the world, he drinks himself silly and dies in an accident. When he was here, he had settled. And somebody misleads the fellow, and now he's drunk. He finds himself in a car accident. He's dead at a very young age. Because sometimes it's not about going to church. Some people cover you in ways you will never know. Some of you might never understand this. Some of you might never understand this. People die every day, yes. And you can't explain their story. And don't stake your life on who died and why, because you might not know the underlying realities or truths of why they did. But be careful with your life and understand that the devil is not joking, he's not playing. He understands the game and he knows what he's doing. Are you following what I'm saying? So, in all of this, if I were Lot and I had this understanding, the moment Abraham had said it, what Lot was supposed to say, I got these hearts by you. I got these flocks by you. We can get rid of them. We can find another place to go together. But as long as the Lord leaveth Abraham, I am not leaving you. That was Lot's answer. Not choosing the plains that were fertile in Jordan. That should have been Lot's answer. But he was indifferent to the ways of the Spirit. Though in the heart he was a righteous man. When you learn these things, you learn to be very careful about the decisions you make, especially that touch your spiritual life. You don't make them emotionally. You don't make them without calculation. You don't make them without hearing God. You take time because you never know what some decisions will become in your life. I see people sometimes and I want to tell them, go and kneel before your mother and say sorry. Some have called individually and told them, go to your biological father. You did this. Go and say sorry to that man. Because there's something that he needs to speak over your life. Some of you have even sent you to fellow church members and told you, you know what? There's even one I called recently. I said, I heard that you had an altercation with this individual. Go to them and say sorry. They said, but Papa, I didn't do it. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not saying you did it. I even know you did not do it, but just go and say sorry. I'm not instructing them because I don't consider their place of vindication and the justification of them having done right but yet being misunderstood. But there are principles that sometimes will warrant you to be wrong even when you're right because you understand the price of inheritance. You understand the price of inheritance. So then my father sometimes would call me for the most random things. Go and buy me chicken. I mean, dad, dad has access to chicken. He's a rich man. He has enough money to buy himself chicken in any hotel he'll want. Why is he sending me for chicken? Why me? You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I'm busy. No. I go get his chicken and get it to him. Why? Because I know the power of my father sending me for chicken. It's not about chicken. Who has understood it? It's not about chicken. It's not about chicken. It's not about chicken. It's about something deeper. And that's what makes me. Oh, no, mom, I'm busy. Okay, let me do this. No, 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 no. Why is she the one calling you to take her to hospital when you have 20 siblings who have cars? Why is she the one calling you to buy her food when others have money too? And then you even cry, you guys don't care. Why don't, no, no, why is she calling you? Why isn't she calling another person? Understand how inheritances work. Some of you, those things that are inconveniencing you are the things that are actually preparing you. But then you take offense because my papa told me this, how could he not, you understand, he didn't answer my call and then you got angry. Maybe God is checking your heart. 
Some of you are easily offended. You're so unstable and too emotional to walk in what God has blessed for your life. And he knows if he should take you there, you'll destroy many. Because with great power comes responsibility. Are you following? Back to Lot's wife. Back to what? To Lot's wife. So the Bible tells us when you go to Genesis 19, that whole story is opened as Lot, God appears to him. And then, you know, through these angels and these men in Sodom want to use these men, they want to abuse them sexually. And then Lot says, no, I pray thee do not do this wickedness. I have two daughters which are virgins. Let me give them to you. If you just want to fulfill an insatiable craving. But please do not do this to my Lord. Because Lord had designed that these were not just angels. God was with him. The story is very clear. You know, the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah had come up to the Lord. And then God tells him, you know what? I'm going to destroy this whole city. Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities are gone. Warn your houses immediately so you can run out. And the Bible tells us in verses 14, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But the Bible says, But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. So when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lord, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest you be consumed in the iniquity of your city. No, Lot has daughters. These daughters were married by sons, which are sons-in-law. He goes to the sons-in-law to warn them that destruction is coming. They look at their father as a what? As a joke. God comes to Lot and tells him, get the other two. You remember the other two which are virgins, which are not married? He tells them, carry those ones with your wife and go. That means painfully. Lot left a bigger part of his family in Sodom. Because his sons and daughters had children too. Do you know what it's like for this man to say, that's my grandchild, that's my daughter. I raised her, I carried her, I played with her, but she has said no. And God has told me to not look behind and I need to look away from my children and walk away because God has spoken. They chose the world over God. So you might for a second think what is going on in the heart of Lot as he's walking or running out with his wife and two daughters and he has to leave the rest back. His grandchildren back. They all died in there. Only two girls survived. Anyway, fast forward in verses uh, 24. The Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Like he came and destroyed everything. Even the plants. God got so angry. God can judge even that tree because of the wickedness of a people. Because the trees were made for men. Are you following? And then verses 26. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. She looked back. She looked back. She looked back. What was she looking back for? What was Lot's wife looking back for? Some people think Lot's wife was looking back because of her children. 
you'd think it's obvious that a mother would be lothed in pain. Those pangs of a woman come back again because the children that came out of her are dying in that debris. And her grandchildren, their posterity has come to a wasting seconds. When you go back to look, you realize that that's not why Lot's wife cried. He warns in verses 31, when the day arrives and you're working in the yard, don't run into the house to get anything. Did he say any person? He said anything. And if you're out in the field, don't go back and get your coat. These were personal belongings, accessories. Next verse, remember what Lot's wife did. So did Lot's wife look back because her babies were burning in brimstone? No. Did Lot's wife look back because her grandchildren were dying? No. She looked back because there's stuff she was connected to and it was burning in that brimstone. And Jesus calls that saving your life. He says, when you save your life, you will lose it. And if you lose your life, you will what? You will save it. Let me explain exactly what was in this woman's heart. She had some silky robes from Ethiopia. And that her husband one time had bought from a merchant that was passing through Sodom. And they were beautiful. And all the women of the city, every time they saw them, they said, ah, Lot's wife is rich. Notwithstanding, her name cannot be mentioned because like Lot had lost inheritance, she had no identity. With no inheritance, you carry no identity. That is why when Gehazi eats of Haman, what the prophet Elisha had not eaten, the next servant that comes in line at the death of Gehazi has no name. He's called the servant of Elisha until the end of ages. Why? Because Elisha gave up the mind of passing his anointing. When Gehazi died, Elisha made up his mind to go with his mantle. And without that mantle, this servant carries no name. Gehazi to be named in scripture meant he was Elisha's choice for a triple anointing, a third generation anointing of horsemen and chariots of Israel. You get it? So she cannot carry a name because Lot carries no purpose in the inheritance. Are you following what I'm saying? Now let's go back here. She remembered her bangles that were given to her by her sister. She remembered the expensive bracelets that were in her drawer. She remembered her tinctures. She remembered high expensive perfumes. She remembered the wealth they had built. She remembered everything the world had afforded for them. She remembered the comforts there. She remembered her mattress. She remembered everything that she had. And then she said, uh-uh. As a woman who was responding to the instruction of her husband, but her heart was not converted from the world. And God said, remember Lot's wife. In fact, the Greek says, keep in remembrance Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. And what was her problem? She had such a love for the world and the things of this world. It's a hard sermon to preach in 2022 because it's easier in 1970 where there was not much in the world that could offer. It was easier in the 60s to preach such a sermon because not much took our attention when it comes to the world. Because right now, I see the confusion within the world that even that which is worldly, it has become so the necessary evil. 
it has become the essential thing that has been so mixed with our lives that we almost cannot live without it or that it no longer looks worldly anymore because it agrees with certain things or fragments within divine purpose. And as you see, as the world continues, you know, advancing, the world becomes more and more worldly, quote and unquote. And there's so much that lures every generation. Imagine a generation that did not have television. Imagine that generation. How much was there to lure them? They must have created other places of entertainment. They must have had other options of recreating and perhaps healthier options of recreating. But look at what this tube brought in the world. Look at the pornography that comes out of California every morning into the world. Look at how many movies are on television. Right now, for those of you who have subscribed to Netflix, you'll understand almost every movie now that is on Netflix as to why some of us cannot work with it anymore. It has to show some man kissing a man or some woman kissing a woman. And that desensitization of these innocent minds that have no clue and the hard conversation we're going to have with our children tomorrow. How to construct the sentences to them that a man is not supposed to marry a fellow man. They're supposed to marry a woman because that's just the way and the order of God. And even in some nations, some pastors cannot say that anymore. They'll have trouble with the taxes. They'll have trouble with the law. They'll have trouble everywhere. Why? Because the world every other day is becoming more and more crazier. And there's a lot taking our children. How old now does a child need to be to own a smartphone? And how much is available for them when they can connect on the internet? Your children know way more than you do. I've sat down with some parents who even think their children are the most innocent things. And then this kid sits down and tells you stuff and you're like, oh my God, don't tell your father. Let's first pray. Trust me, I'm a pastor. Trust me. You don't want to know. Some of you even serve you because you need to sleep. You need to sleep. Let me, I'm counseling 20-year-old kids, 18-year-old kids with HIV, 16-year-old kids, 15-year-old kids. I see this every day. Why? Because the world has taken over. So everything that was complicated, this complicated now, sorry, was very simple back in the day because we're not exposed to so much. They were not necessary. The days of weddings in the 80s and 70s, those of you who are around, towards the late 80s, everything was simple. You just need a toilet paper. And I mean, those of you who are in Uganda understand what I'm saying. Come on, help me. You remember those days? Kids these days, I mean, decoration 50 million. I'm like, what? Decoration 90 million? Back in the day, guys just needed to get pink tissue, blue tissue, and some of them which were a bit richer had green. And then they make two lines or three or four. And then they go making them in a circle like that. And then they blow balloons and then plug them. You remember those days? And what are people to eat? Popcorn. Fanta. If Fanta was on the party, some of us would even try to get through the fence to make sure that some bottle crosses. You remember those days? And then some blue bands. And then a DJ who's playing South African music. The whole night, you understand? And then your father's take cheap beer. Very cheap. And the wedding is over. No wedding meetings. For what? To discuss popcorn and biscuit? Because that was food. The food was popcorn and biscuits. If you are richer, a cake, a short cake. You understand what I'm saying? Life was simple. 
everything was what? Do you know that in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, the mystery of joy was food? What was Christmas? What was Easter? Everything was around what? Even the conversation, we ate food. So by the time it's Christmas, 2 p.m. or 3, you can't walk. Because that's the day Fanta comes. Some of us used to take soda once in a year. Come on, help me somebody. Our children just sip it and they leave it on the table and say, I don't want soda, I don't want soda. Sometimes I just want to lay hands on them and say, receive it, child. So the distractions today are so many. The voices are many. And John tells us, love not the world. Love not the world. I know this is hard to explain in 2022. He says, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. Do not love them. You can like, but do not love them. Love is a deep thing. Somebody bought me a very expensive thing. Very expensive. And then they asked me, oh, how do you feel? And I was disappointed in myself, firstly. But I was not feeling the way they thought I should be feeling. And quite honestly, yes, I liked it. But nothing in me had moved an inch. Why? Because the Lord told me many years ago to die to the world and the things of this world. If you buy me something, a new gift, a new gadget, I like it. But I'm dead to it. You get my point? Not that I'm not grateful for the gifts people give me. I am grateful, especially for tools. You understand? A phone is a tool. A car is a tool. It's not a luxury. You get my point? Nothing makes my day like what happens in the presence of God. Some of us are so dead. Listen, some of us are so dead to the world and the things of this world that we can't find happiness in anything that the world can offer, however beautiful. Oh, I'm sleeping in a multi-million dollar house. Of course, oh, they even cry. Some of us can't cry because we're sleeping in a multi-million dollar house. But we can cry when certain people come to Jesus. And that is the truth. When I started banking, let me tell you, I went through something when I started my banking days. And I tell people the truth. This is the honest truth. Something happened to me at my primal years of consecration that changed the way I see the world. In fact, my six years of banking, the Lord is my witness. I gave all my money to the church. I never bought a car. I never bought a property in my name. There was nothing written in my name except for the shirts and trousers that I had that used to take me to the bank every day. Why? Because I didn't know how the kingdom of God would lack and I had. You get my point? And I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I'm only trying to tell you that it is possible to actually die to the world. I'm not saying that you're not going to have the nice things of this world. No, build the best houses, drive the best cars. Live well for God, but be disconnected. That's why I tell people, there is nothing I cannot do without and there is nothing I cannot give. There is nothing that I have in possession in this world that I cannot give away. It's not there. Because I'm dead to brick and mortar. I'm dead to gadget. I'm dead to 
anything. There is nothing in this world that controls me that, oh, am I, I can't go with him without my house. Oh, my car. Oh, no, no, no. No, no. Because I'm dead to the world. That's called conversion. He says, do not love the world, nor the things of this world. He says, if any man love the world, then the love of a father is not in him. And he calls the love of the world the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And he says, these things are not of the Father, but they are of this world. It's those three things. If your eye are lusts and cannot find purpose in a thing, if you carry the lust of the flesh, if you carry the pride of life, there are men of God who are exactly, I'm sorry to say this, like the superstars of this world. The way a superstar would enter a place is the way some men of God enter a place. The way a superstar carries themselves is the way a man or some of our men and women of God carry themselves. We're no longer servants of God because the pride of life has taken over. We inflate the glory of God operating on our life outside the purposes for which God has anointed us. And there is still my people, regardless of how much God blesses you, never change. Understand what comes first. Have you ever noticed why in Fanero we don't have special chairs? Do I have a chair here? That, that is apostle's chair. And if one day we build a cathedral and I own one, you will see. It should not be a throne. The reason why we do this is we want to tell people that in Fanero, whether you own a million dollars or you have 10,000 shillings, when you come in this house, you're the same. And we have people who say, ah, ah, if I'm not recognized, I will not go. One time they invited a guy and the guy was sat in a fifth or sixth row and he was offended because the kind of superstar he is. I looked at this boy. The kind of superstar he is, he cannot sit in the third room. He should be in front. And I told my ushers, the next time he comes back, put him in the back. If he returns, then that's conversion. If he doesn't, we shall understand. Don't expect special treatment because you have money in Fanero. No. We own our leaders, we own our people, we own our elders, we own our fathers, we own our mothers. That's why some of the Thursdays, you see, I usually try to tell, put our elders a bit in front. Because some of them, their eyes can't see. You know, some of them, they need to be, you know, cared for and stuff like that. But what we want to kill is this thing of people being superstars, even in the presence. To think that you are more advantaged even in the presence. No, if you cannot stand this, go to the church that will understand you. I'm telling you. Why? Because there are people right now in this room who are many, many, many ways richer than you and they're seated in the back and they're okay. Because it's not about where they sit. It's who they come to meet. Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is called the pride of life. That means you're worldly. You just don't know it. Let me tell you, a simple definition of being worldly. And some of you are going to discover it today. Do you know how you understood worldly? Equally, that girl goes to club. Oh, that brother, he still drinks. Oh, the other guy, he's on the beach, hugging fun. He's so worldly. He's singing a secular song. 
Let me explain what it means to be worldly. Never forget this. If you can do for the world what you can't do for God, you are worldly. If you can do for the world what you cannot do for God, you are worldly. Recently, somebody sent me a small little statement spoken by the guys who designed TikTok. And guess what? The guy who designed TikTok said that he designed TikTok for two kinds of people. He said, the jobless and the unstable. Some of you have read it. You're yet to discover it. He imagined what would a jobless person in the world do if they were to sit the whole day with the internet in the house. Okay, what would an unstable person who is dealing with depression and you know stress and is emotionally unstable, what would I need to keep them laughing the whole day and amuse them for a week and a year? Then he designed something and people are being drained, destinies are being switched, transactions are going under, and people don't even have a clue that their own lives are being traded on specific altars. Why? Because they're melting away and affections are being consumed on TikTok. And somebody, born-again Christian, wakes up in the morning and sits on TikTok, not looking into the things of the Spirit, but laughing from 7, 8, 9, 10. You're on TikTok. And the man says, you're either jobless or unstable. Now, and then you ask this Christian, some of you have been born again for 30 years, 15 years, 20 years. Have you ever spent four hours praying non-stop? Okay, have you ever spent three hours praying non-stop ever since you were born again? If you have, how many times in 10 years have you done it? If you're 30, in your 30 years of existence, how many times have you done that? In your 40 years or 50 years of existence, 60 years of existence, how many times have you prayed for three hours? Or even one hour? So ask yourself, what is that thing that awakens your endorphins, raises your serotonin levels, gives you a height and you sit on this gadget for four hours, and you just remember, you even need to use the toilet. You just remember, oh, sorry. You understand? Four hours, you can melt your brain and attend to something. Two hours and attend to something every day. And you can't give that time to God. You're worldly. You're just judging the other people, but you are worldly. And what are you doing on TikTok? Laughing at funny animals. Laughing at people. You understand? For four hours. Is it wrong to be on TikTok? No, it's not. But I'm saying when you give to the world what you cannot give God. Some of you are working people. You wake up every morning at five or six and prepare your children and go to work. You give a hundred percent up to 6 p.m. I did that for years. I know what it's like. I had the keys of the bank to open and to close. And you sit, how much are you being paid? Three million, two million, six million, 10 million, 12 million. And if somebody looks at just how much work you can do for four million, they'll be shocked what you can do for the kingdom. Because for that three million, which you wake up every morning from eight to six to work for, and how much energy, 
how much sweat, how much wisdom, how much preparedness, how much endurance. Some of you endure bad bosses, you endure the scorching sun, you endure everything because you need to go back home with two or three or four, five million to educate your children. How much time do you give in the things of this God who not only has given you life, gave you that job when you prayed for it in that overnight. Now it has become a problem. I tell people, there are many faithfully committed and available Christians only because they are broke. God is just doing us an advantage to keep you there. The day that multi-million dollar business goes through, the day that project opens, that is the day you're going to be so busy for God. That's being worldly. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. I feel so hurt when I cannot give time to God that I can give anything in this world. Nothing in this world, nothing in this world should take more time than the time you give God. I don't care. Oh, and I've had people, oh no, you know, some of you, you're saying, you know, you serve God. And even us in our workplaces, we do serve God. If in what you do, you actually have a direct influence on the kingdom. But some of you, honestly, there is no even purpose at your workplace. It's not there. You're just using it as an excuse to escape the responsibility and accountability that you owe God. Okay, when you worked, let's just say, you worked all of those hours, right? And you earned this money. Did you give some to the kingdom? No. Some of you are even struggling to ask you to tithe, to give in the church. Yet when you used to get drunk, you used to go in the bar and spend 300,000 shillings in a night. That's not money you can put in a basket. But you could have paid it to any girl to sleep with her. You bought her a house, you bought her a car, because you just wanted her body. When they come in the house of God, they put pocket change. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? I know a person who lost about $400,000 in one business. And I asked this person, have you been giving your tithes in your church? Because they were not coming to my church. Were you faithful in the principles in your church? This person says, no, I wasn't. So they could lose $400,000, but they would struggle to tithe. So I asked them, okay, what's the biggest amount you've ever given God in your church? Because I wasn't looking for their substance. I was helping them. He said, I don't know, the biggest amount I've ever given was 10 million. So I tell them, oh, so you are actually more than $400,000 rich and the biggest amount you've ever given God is $3,000. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because God judges us against what we have, not what we give. Do you understand? There's a man with $1,000 and they're giving 500 to God or 200. And there's a man with a million dollars and they're giving God 1,000. So who gives more? Do you understand what I'm saying? Put God first. I tell Christians, design your schedules around your faith. Don't design your faith around your schedules. Live a life where God comes first. Why do they take you out on a Thursday? Some of you should understand even how the devil works. Why should they take you out on a Thursday? Tell them, no, if you want to take me out, Book any day of the week, not Thursday. 
that's you telling God that I honor my debt with you than anybody. Oh, Apostle, does that mean that if I don't do this on Thursday, therefore I don't love God? That's not what I'm saying. I'm only trying to help you understand who you love more. It's not about you loving God. You actually do. I'm not saying you don't. I'm only saying, who do you love more? What do you love more? Your priorities in life should be clear. Do you understand what I'm saying? You wake up and your whole family has put a, a movie date on Thursday night. That's the day you don't appear. They must learn to work on your schedule. And no, no, that one, if you need her, don't look for her on a Sunday morning. You will not get her. Get her in the afternoon, but not morning. Listen, if even these secular businesses can say, at this hour, we are not working, we will not serve you. This is a man running a secular business. He can tell you we are not going to serve you beyond six. If you come at six, the gates are closed. Learn to close your gates also. You mean those businesses don't want money? They do love money, but they have priorities that are bigger than money. And that's when they choose their priorities above that pay. Learn to choose God over some things. Listen, even if they have a deal, you tell them if you have the deal, let's meet on Friday, not Thursday. Yeah. You remember, some of you remember when they called me somewhere, I told them I want to come, but on Thursday, I can't. Because that's the day I'm with God. I can come another day, but not on the day I'm supposed to be with God. Because I can lose millions of dollars, but not that voice. It's not pride, it's my priorities. They're set right, I'm not worldly. Are you following what I'm trying to tell us here? What can you do for the world that you cannot do for God? Why should it be though like that? Why should it be like that? Why should you prefer to give to the world what you can never give him? Your time, your skills. Have your skills for the kingdom of God. Because if you can sweat for 10 million, what about the giver of life? Oh, I can't balance them. Listen, Paul made tents and yet he was an apostle. You can do all things. By Christ who strengthens you, so what I'm saying, go work hard. Knock yourself out and sweat. When you come to serve God, serve Him right. You who come late every day, is that the time you arrive at your workplace? Can you keep a job coming late every day at your workplace? No, but you're doing that to God. If you can serve the world and even respect its time, what about heavenly time? I have said this again, that you should never find a preacher on the altar. That's disregard of the ways of heaven. I know that our generation, which is too emotional, cannot take some rebukes. Well, the insulters doesn't know where I've come from. Why aren't you late for flights? Why aren't you late for interviews? Some of you are not even late on dates. If Michael says I'm coming at six, you'll make sure you come at five thirty, such that you can even get some time to and freshen up before Michael appears and then you come late in the presence of God you're worldly you just don't know it I'm not saying judge everyone who comes late no some people have reasons they come from far transport delayed there was jam I understand that you only can judge your heart not your neighbor because you don't know what they went through to get here some of them even coming now was a miracle so don't judge people because they walked in late. But I'm only trying to tell us here that we must examine ourselves and see what have we given God and what have we given the world? 
many of us will realize that we are more worldly than we actually thought. If you're serious about living this life, put God first. Put God first. Parents who are raising children, especially you parents, you have the responsibility to show your children who is first in your house. A seven-year-old should not have an option of praying or not praying. Some of you should understand how the world of the spirit works. You're going to give this kid liberty and he's going to get 25 and get on drugs. And you're going to go for counseling every night, praying for your child the whole night because you don't know where he is. Why? You gave him the liberty at seven to choose God or not? No, there's a reason why you're their father. You're their mother. In my house, if it's 8 p.m. or 9, we're supposed to pray. You will stop praying when you live here, but when you're here and you're eating my food and drinking my water, when we say we're going to church, we're going to church. I will never force you to get born again. That's not my part. But when it comes to church, you pray. Do you understand, parents? Those things of don't force a child. What do you mean don't force a child? Don't force a child. Raise up the child in the way they should. Should is not negotiable. Should is not a negotiable clause. It's a command. They either listen to you. When they grow, the Bible says they will not depart. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Always be zealous for the things of God. And be willing to let go and disconnect from anything worldly. Don't look because many of you, by doing that, you're losing your life slowly. But because in losing your life, you've actually had the comforts of riding in a better car, sleeping well, and wearing a nice cologne. You carry no difference. You don't understand the difference because you become so delusional about what it's like to live real life. The comfort and blessing of a man is not in the abundance of things. No. It's in that relationship that that man has with God. And to keep that flowing, we must understand our true priorities. 2022 is hard to preach such sermons, but we have to preach them. People must wake up to the things of God again. You see, anniversary time, we have a very wealthy person in this house. And we went street preaching. And this person was on the streets club. I was blessed. Because... For the first time in my nation, I saw a multi-million dollar person standing on the streets of Kampala Road to tell the world that it was not about the money they had on their accounts. It was about this God they believed. And I imagined how many friends they worked with. I imagined how many family members were looking. I imagined how many people were saying, how, why would this man or woman be on the street? And in the back of my head, I said, this man is free. But some of you, even in your brokenness, you can't testify to a border border man. You still sit on borders, but listen. If men in this world have been blessed, huh? and this is the truth, I have been blessed by God. I have been so blessed by God. In every aspect, whether wealth or otherwise, I have been blessed by God. But let me tell you something. Those of you who know me personally, I'm still the same man. I have not changed. 
I still love and play with kids. I still play basketball with the boys and I'm fouled also. And I feel that that's what really makes me me. Because I'm dead to anything the world could ever offer. My joy is when I go to bed and I realize, oh my God, I actually blessed this individual. Through me, somebody came to Jesus Christ. Have no better joy than to see the kingdom of God advance in any way. Die to the world. Die to the world. Raise your hands and talk to God. Talk to God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely. In the light of his glory and Come on. says in Galatians the sixth chapter the 14th verse Paul says God forbid that I should glory served in the cross of Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified and to me and I to the world our hearts prayer God is that we'll not glory in the wealth we have will not glory in the degrees on master's degrees and PhDs on our heads that will not glory in the families we come from, that will not glory in the strengths that we have, but that our glory should be in Jesus Christ. And that we will be willing to lose anything. And that we will be crucified to the world and the world to us. We remember Lord's wife. May we never turn. May we never turn. Paul said, Demas has left me for the love of this present world. And he has gone to Thessalonica. And he says, Crescens has also left me to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. And he says, only Luke is with me. Even Paul was abandoned. 
by boys who love this world. But it is evident that even at the highest place of divine purpose and power, we saw men slip back into the world. If that happens to the boys who saw Paul walking and functioning under the power of the Spirit, then it is a fact that it would happen to any man regardless of how much they have seen. We ask you, and may our hearts be tamed, not to lose our vision and commitment in the things that concern you. In Jesus' name we are prayed and believed. Amen. If you are here and you've never given your life to Christ, if you're there and you say, I want to be born again, repeat this after me. You say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that from today, your Lord of my life, I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.